Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, We are super glad that you decided to join us this morning. My name is David, and I serve here as an intern. The last several weeks, we've been talking about relationships. Relationships are some of those things that can hold some of the most beautiful and most amazing moments in our lives. But at the same time, relationships can be really difficult. Relationships can hold some of the greatest pain and the greatest difficulty of our entire lives. And so we've been spending the last five weeks, including today, looking at relationships and really looking at the better way that God has for us in relationships. Week number one, we looked at our first rule, which is to, uh, it's not about winning. Your goal in conflict can't be about winning. It can't be about winning the argument. It's got to be about pleasing God. That's the first rule. Rule number two was to own your part. You must focus on your part of the conflict. Regardless of what they've done to you, the first problem to address in conflict is you. Then week number three, we talked about confession. And this is not just confession to God, but also confession to those who hurt us. And confession is one of the most powerful remedies for conflict in relationships. Then we talked about rule number four, which is to gently confront. When you confront, you need to do so in love and in gentleness and in a spirit of trying to restore that person. If you missed any of those weeks, I would highly encourage you to check out our podcast to get caught up as we've been talking about relationships. Well, this week we're talking about rule number five, to forgive. Rule number five is to forgive. If we want any hope for good relationships, we're going to have to learn how to forgive. You see, all of us are sinners, and what happens when sinners are in relationship with one another? Somebody gets hurt, right? Somebody sins against somebody. Somebody says something that they shouldn't have. Somebody does something that hurts the other person. And if we want to have any hope of a good, of a restored relationship, we're going to have to learn how to forgive. We're going to have to learn how to forgive so that those broken relationships can be repaired. You might not be aware of this, but there are actually two other interns here at Bridgewater. Both Lane and Adam serve at other campuses, so you probably haven't met either of them. Uh, They're two great guys, and they're some of my closest friends. We have all three of our desks are right next to each other at the church office, and we actually live in two halves of the the same house, and so we end up spending a lot of time together. And in any group, there's that one person who gets picked on the most, right? That's just kind of naturally how it is. And of the three of us, it is unquestionably Adam. He just makes it too much fun and too easy most of the time. A few months ago, we inherited one of those scoreboards that you flip over to keep track of two teams. You know what I'm talking about? It's got the four things that you flip over. So we inherited one of those, and we decided that we would use that to keep track of all the times that Adam asked a silly question or did something absolutely ridiculous. Because, I mean, what else do you do with a scoreboard? Like, what else are you supposed to do with it? Um, So it didn't take him very long to start racking up just a bunch of points. And different things were worth different amounts of points. So he'd get like a point for asking how to update the software on his computer because he's an old man and apparently doesn't know how to do that. Or he'd get a few points when he'd ask the exact same question five times in a day and we'd say, Adam, we, we told you this five times. I think the one time he got a bunch of points was when he told us about the worst smoothie that he ever made. He thought it'd be a good idea to put uh, guacamole in a fruit smoothie Um, because he had heard of people putting avocados in a fruit smoothie, and he figured that guacamole and avocado are basically the same thing. Um, Word to the wise, they are not, so don't try that. It's really gross, so I think he got like 40 points or something for that. Well, this scorekeeping went on for, I don't remember, weeks, months, something like that, until one day we went to the office, and the scoreboard was flipped over to 9,999, the highest it could possibly go. 
And while the scoreboard um, might be done for now, we're probably still going to tease each other quite a bit. Well, I think all of us in life are tempted to keep a scoreboard. But instead of keeping track of silly and dumb things like that, we keep track of the times that people wrong us. We keep track of all the times that somebody hurts us. Maybe you have a friend in your life that keeps saying that they're going to make it to an appointment, but they either don't show up or they show up late, and in your mind you keep track. That's, that's the fifth time they've let me down. Or maybe in your marriage, your spouse has made promises to you, and they keep letting you down time and time again, and each time you keep track of it in your mind, and it hurts you each time. Or maybe you've had somebody who's said some really hurtful things to you, and you can remember all the times they've torn you down with their words. You can even replay them in your head. We don't just keep track of the frequency of the times that we're wronged, we also keep track of the severity. I mean, different things have different amounts of points, right? Like stealing the TV remote might only be like three points, but it's not nearly as much as when somebody lies to you or when somebody cheats on you. And Maybe you're here today and I can imagine in this room there's some really hurtful things that have happened. Maybe someone's abused you, your kids. Maybe someone's lied to you. Maybe a family member has abandoned you. And when you think of that pain, you instantly think of 9,999 on that scoreboard. It just feels too great. Well, when we're wronged by others, we all face two options. We've got two options when we're wronged by others. First, we can try to settle the score. We can try to settle the score. This is where we try to make them pay for what they have done wrong to us. We hold that scoreboard over their head and say, look at what you've done to me. Maybe we do it in our head, but that's essentially what we're doing. We're trying to settle the score. And that's our natural tendency. That's what the world's going to tell you to do is to settle that score. Or when we're wronged, we can choose to erase the score. We can choose to forgive and to not hold that wrong against them, to not keep track of those points. But what happens if they keep wronging you? I mean, sure, you erased the score, but they keep racking up more points. Do you have to keep forgiving them? I mean, how many times do you have to forgive somebody? And is there some sins that are just so great that they can't be forgiven? Well, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, was asking the exact same question in Matthew chapter 18. And so that's where we're going to spend our time today, is Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Right before these verses, Jesus had been um, teaching on what we call church discipline. Luke referenced that just a few weeks ago when we were talking about confrontation. And, and in church discipline... We're told that we need to confront somebody in sin, but if they repent, we, we need to forgive and we need to restore them to that relationship with the church. And so that leads Peter to ask a question in verse 21. So he says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You see, Peter's a smart guy. He realizes that that forgiveness that Jesus had been talking about could be taken advantage of. And so he asked Jesus a question. He asked him, how many times do I have to keep doing this? Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That was not exactly the response that Peter was hoping for. Because you see, he thought he was being really righteous by suggesting the number seven. The religious leaders at that time taught that three was the acceptable number of how many times you had to forgive somebody. So Peter thought he was being like, oh man, I'm going to put seven out there and Jesus is going to think I'm really righteous. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, no, 77 times. And by using that number, he's not saying we need to keep a scoreboard like we do 
at the office. What he's saying is that really forgiveness needs to be unlimited. He's using that number as kind of representative of unlimited forgiveness. Forgiveness should be unlimited. And that leads him to illustrate his point with a parable. And that's the rest of our text for this morning. And throughout this parable, Jesus is going to answer three questions about forgiveness. And these questions are really the questions all of us are, are dying to have answered for us when we are wrong. So let's read through the rest of our text for this morning and look at these questions, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw this, They saw what had happened. They were outraged, and they went to their master and told him everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So the first question that Jesus answers is this, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, Jesus says that forgiveness is to cancel a debt. It's really a definition of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to cancel a debt. In this parable, there's this servant. He owes the king an unpayable debt. The wording in verse 24 describes 200,000 years worth of the common laborer's wages. This is an absolutely unpayable debt. Today, that'd be worth about $7.2 billion. And while that's a stupid number, his point is actually beyond that, because Jesus actually uses the, um, the, the wording for the currency and the number that he uses are the highest that existed at that time, the highest and the greatest that existed at that time. And so what Jesus is saying is that this is an unpayable debt. There's no way in a million years, that the servant could ever pay this back. And the servant with an unpayable debt is sentenced to be sold along with his family and all that he has to get back at least a little bit of that money that the king has lost. The servant begs for a chance to pay it back, but instead of even giving him a chance to pay it back, which he couldn't, I mean, it's impossible, right? He didn't even give him that chance. Instead, he decides to cancel the debt. He just lets him go. And that's exactly what forgiveness is. It's to cancel a debt. It's to erase and get rid of that scoreboard. It's to choose to not hold that wrong against them anymore. Forgiveness is a commitment to not bring this matter up to three groups of people. First, I'm not going to bring that matter up to you, the person who has wronged me. Notice that the king in this story doesn't bring the matter up once he forgives the debt. It's done. And so forgiveness is a commitment 
to not bring the matter up to you anymore. It's, I'm not going to use it in future arguments to try and gain leverage. I'm not going to use it to try and make you feel guilty. I'm not going to use it against you anymore. I have let it go. Secondly, it's a commitment not to bring the matter up to others. Notice again that the king doesn't bring it up to everybody else after he lets the servant go. It's just forgiven. Forgiveness means I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to share prayer requests. Sometimes I like to call that spiritualized gossip, right? I'm not going to do any of that. The matter is closed. And while there might be the occasional time where it needs to be brought up to others for the purpose of healing or learning maybe, but I'm committed not to bring it up without good reason. Well, third, forgiveness is commitment not to bring the matter up to myself. Notice that the king doesn't dwell on this after he forgives the servant. He simply lets him go. And this is, this is the hardest part, because forgiveness means that you're not going to think about it all the time. But what happens when we're wronged by others? We want to replay that hurt in our mind. We want to justify our hurt and our anger towards them. We want to focus on that wrong. But forgiveness is a commitment that we are not going to bring the matter up to ourselves. We're going to let it go. And this means that forgiveness is not really a one-time thing. It might start at one time, but it's an ongoing thing probably for the rest of your life. It's a commitment to say any time that comes to your mind, you're not going to hold it against them. You're going to let it go. It's a commitment not to bring the matter up to yourself. This parable also illustrates that forgiveness cannot be earned. Forgiveness cannot be earned. Sometimes people like to say, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. No, they don't. That's the point. Forgiveness is canceling a debt. It's not giving them an opportunity to pay it back. That's not what forgiveness is. If you pay off your student loans, what is that? That's debt repayment. That's not debt forgiveness. Forgiveness cannot be earned. Forgiveness is canceling the debt. It's not giving the person a chance to pay it back. Jesus is also teaching us through this parable that being forgiven everything means I need to forgive everything. Being forgiven everything means I need to forgive everything. Jesus says that we are to forgive in the exact same way that we have been forgiven. And in this parable, this servant that had this unpayable debt that was forgiven, he's scolded by the king. And even by the other servants, they're angry at him for not forgiving as he had been forgiven. I mean, this other servant did owe him some money. It was about 100 days worth of wages. That's, that's some money, right? That's not nothing. But compared to the debt that he had, like, seconds ago been forgiven of, it was so small. And he refused to forgive as he'd been forgiven. And because we, as followers of Jesus, have been forgiven an unpayable debt because of what Jesus has done for us, we ought to forgive those debts that are against us. We're to take that complete, that unlimited forgiveness that's been extended to us, and we're to extend that towards others. Maybe you're here today, and you've been wronged in some really painful way. I don't know what that hurt is, but it might feel like that debt that you're owed, it's just enormous. It's unpayable. It's really easy to remember the things people have done to us, right? But really easy to forget the wrongs that we have done to others and the wrongs that we have done to God. But Jesus is incredibly clear in this parable that the debt that we owed God is far greater than any debt anyone could ever owe us. That's the whole point in this parable is that we had an unpayable debt, but Jesus chose to forgive it. We're to take that forgiveness and extend it to those around us. 
So far we focused on what forgiveness is, but I also want to talk about what forgiveness is not. Our culture gets this really confused, and so I want to make sure we clarify this issue. First, forgiveness is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. The king didn't just feel something. What did he do? He made a decision to cancel that debt. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you might never forgive. But forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision. It's a decision to cancel a a debt, to let it go. And that's really good news because that means that you can choose to forgive no matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter how somebody has wronged you, you can still choose to forgive. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. Culture likes to say, forgive and forget. Problem is, that's nowhere in the Bible. God doesn't tell us to forget the sins of others. The king in this parable actually doesn't forget the debt that was owed him. This is, again, good news because you can't promise to forget something. That's impossible. All you can do is choose not to dwell on it. And in addition, forgetting, I think, really would lessen the power and significance of forgiveness. Because if you forgot that the wrong happened, it's as if it never happened, and there's no need for forgiveness. It almost like wipes, it, it makes it unimportant and not significant. But when I know how someone has wronged me, but I choose to forgive them anyway, oh man, that's the power of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Third, forgiveness is not excusing. The king didn't say that the servant was right for taking his money and never giving it back. Forgiveness doesn't make the wrong right. It simply means I'm not going to hold that wrong against you anymore. This means that we need to make sure that when we ask for or even when we extend forgiveness that we don't, with how we word things, accidentally try to excuse away wrong. Because, I mean, what do we say so often? We say, oh, it's no big deal. Or, Oh, it's nothing. Or, oh, don't worry about it. Well, if it was wrong, if it was sinful, then yes, it was a big deal. And yes, I should worry about it. We shouldn't just try to excuse it away with our words. And I'll admit that I'm probably the worst at this. My wife will tell you that I'm constantly trying to work on not excusing away what happened with my words, either when I'm the one in wrong or when she's the wrong in the one in the wrong. I'm trying to learn not to accidentally excuse away sin or excuse away things that have happened. So Jesus has told us what forgiveness is. So let's look at the the second question that Jesus answers through this parable. Does forgiveness remove consequences? Does forgiveness remove consequences? Well, let's look again at what happens in this parable. This king is owed a lot of money. I mean, the servant has racked up this debt. I don't even know what he did or how he racked up that much debt, but somehow he did. He's owed a lot of money, and that means that the king is short a lot of money. What happens? The king decides to let it go. But the fact that he canceled the debt doesn't magically make all that money reappear. The king is still short all of that money. He's still incredibly short on money. And in addition, I doubt the king is ever going to loan that servant money again, at least not without some proven changes in his character over time, right? And so both the king and the servant, they still had consequences in their life, even after forgiveness had happened, even after there was forgiveness, there were still consequences in their lives. You see, forgiveness, it does not remove consequences. It simply removes the punishment for the wrong. Without forgiveness, the goal is to get payback, right? We want vengeance. We want to pay them back with all that we are. And so even if all we can do is just be angry and bitter at them, that's how we're going to get payback. But with forgiveness, with forgiveness, the goal is to make them better. 
goal is to make them better. And that might mean there's some constructive consequences in their life from what they have done. For those that have done something that's illegal, they might need to spend some time in jail. I can remember my family having to walk through this when my cousin Kurt was killed on duty as a police officer. His wife and his parents were able to stand at the trial and tell his murderer, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold what you have done to our family against you anymore. But guess what? That didn't remove the consequences. That guy's still in jail. And he will be in jail for a very long time. And he should be in jail for a very long time. My cousin's wife and his two kids, they have to live every day without a husband, without a father. Forgiveness didn't remove the consequences, but it did lead to healing. It did lead to peace for our family. Parents can struggle with this with their kids. We have to realize that there's a big difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is enacted in anger and is looking to repay that wrong. But discipline is enacted in love and it's looking to help that person learn from their wrong. And so as parents, we have to learn to sometimes just let our kids deal with the consequences of their sin or sometimes even create consequences to help them learn, to help them do better. This question of consequences is especially important in cases of abuse. Sometimes people think that Forgiveness or love demands that somebody who's in an abusive situation stay there. But that is not, please hear me, that is not what the Bible is teaching. The responsibility before God to forgive that person does not remove the consequences for the other person's sin. If we truly want the best for that person who is abusing someone, we're going to want some consequences in their life, right? Because we learn from consequences. Nobody learns when they get away scot-free. Consequences help us learn, and if we love them, we're going to want consequences in their life. Let me also say that if the sin is against you, you're probably going to need some outside advice on how to, how to move forward in that relationship after you have forgiven them, how to have some healthy consequences, some healthy guardrails to protect you, some healthy guardrails to even give that person who has wronged you an opportunity to demonstrate that they have changed. If you've been abused, if you've Um, had someone lie to you, if you've had a child steal from you consistently, if you had a friend that's manipulated you, you're probably not in the best uh, state of mind to help decide what some healthy consequences are. You're probably going to need some outside help for that. But forgiveness doesn't mean that everything is okay. Remember, it's not excusing. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the the sin never happened. Remember, it's not forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean that we just unconditionally trust that person again. Forgiveness means I'm not going to hold their sin against them. I'm not going to try and pay them back. I'm not going to hold it over their head. But I am willing to let them earn my trust again over time. And sometimes that means that there's going to have to be some serious guardrails, some serious protections in your life and in their life. And you're probably going to need some help in determining what those things are. So Jesus tells us that forgiveness does not remove consequences. The third question that Jesus answers is this, what if I feel that I can't forgive? What if I feel I can't forgive? Well, to answer this first, we've got to go back to what we said earlier. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a decision. It's a decision to not hold that against them, and it's commanded of followers of Jesus. Maybe it'll take time for 
your heart to come in line with the decision that you've made. But as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to forgive. But what if you feel that you just can't make that decision? Well, the hard truth is that Jesus says that you cannot claim to be a follower of him if you continually refuse to forgive. I know there's been some harsh words, but this is what Jesus is saying in this parable. I mean, look at what happens to this servant that refuses to give this small debt that he's owed. In verses 32 and 33, the king says that he should have forgiven as he had been forgiven. And then in verse 34, the king sentences the man to life in jail. He says to torture him until his debt is paid off. And he's got 200,000 years of debt ahead of him. He's going to be in jail way beyond his lifetime, right? Notice what Jesus says in verse 35. This is really the key to understanding the point of this entire parable. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So what Jesus is saying is that God will throw those who choose not to forgive into jail to live out their sentence and pay off their debt. In other words, Jesus is saying is that those who forgive, refuse to forgive the sins of others have to pay for their own sins. Those are some scary words. This doesn't mean that you can lose your salvation. Salvation is a gift you didn't earn, so it's impossible for you to lose it by how you act. What it means, what Jesus is saying is that no true disciple of him could live in continual unforgiveness. He's saying that you demonstrate that you are forgiven by God when you forgive others. You demonstrate that you are, in fact, forgiven by God when you forgive others. We said just a few months ago in our Marked series that forgiveness is one of the marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ. When you understand the forgiveness that's been extended to you, you want to turn around and extend that forgiveness to others. You see, you and I each owed God an absolutely unpayable debt. Our sins racked up so high that there was no way in a million years we could ever pay them off. But Jesus, in great mercy, decided to forgive every single one of them. When we realize how much we've been forgiven of, man, we want to turn around and give that forgiveness to other people. That forgiveness that we have in Jesus, it produces humble and repentant hearts. And a humble and repentant person forgives those who wrong them. It's a prideful and self-righteous person who refuses to forgive. They think they've earned their standing before God and before others, and so they demand the same of those around them. So Jesus' point in this story is that a continual refusing to forgive demonstrates that you have not truly been forgiven. If you refuse to forgive someone who asks, then your standard is actually higher than God's. Because God forgives all who ask in repentance. This doesn't mean you're going to always forgive immediately or that you're always going to feel like forgiving, but over time you demonstrate that you are forgiven by God when you forgive others. And what's beautiful about this is that forgiveness is not something God wants from you. It's something that God wants for you. Because the world's worst prison is the prison of of an unforgiving heart. The world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. When we refuse to forgive, forgive others, we are literally causing our own torment. And God wants to set you free from that. People like to say that time heals all wounds. It's not really true. 
Jesus heals all wounds, and he does so over time. But we have to participate in that process by forgiving others. I promise you, you are not going to heal if you do not forgive those who wrong you. I know it hurt. I know it's hard. But you're not going to heal if you don't. When you refuse to forgive, you let anger and bitterness take over your life. You're going to find yourself with less and less joy, more and more hatred. Often you're going to even, I've experienced, it seems that often you're even going to end up acting like that person that you're refusing to forgive. You're going to push away those who love you with your bitterness. You're going to find yourself alone. You're going to find yourself miserable. So I ask you today, please, don't let yourself get imprisoned in an unforgiving heart. It is certainly like God to lead Matt to ask me to preach this particular message in this series. Because I've had to learn about forgiveness through some difficult circumstances. One of the amazing and difficult things about preaching the Bible is that before you can bring it to other people, you need to check your own heart, check your own life. And so as I've been preparing for today, I've been, had to walk through this again and making sure that I'm not letting bitterness take root in my heart. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life is forgive my father. Growing up, he was not the most godly man. I can remember often feeling that I had to earn his love, that I had to perform a certain way for him to accept me. I can remember fearing his wrath above all else. And then when I was 12, some tensions that had been there for a long time boiled to the point where he decided that he was going to leave. He just packed his bags and left. I have a pretty terrible memory, but I can still remember the image of him walking out the door. And then when I was 16... My youth pastor, he preached a message on forgiveness. He gave each of us a piece of chain, and he said that unforgiveness, bitterness, is like this chain. It imprisons you. And I can remember in that moment saying, I need to forgive my father. I think I'm, maybe I had in my heart at that point, I'm not sure, but I definitely hadn't said it to his face. And so I arranged to meet my father. I met him for lunch, and I told him that I forgave him. I told him I wasn't going to hold what he had done to our family against him anymore. He hadn't really asked for my forgiveness, but I knew that I needed to give it because I needed to do my part to forgive as I had been forgiven and make sure that I'm not letting bitterness and anger take root in my heart. And I wish I could tell you that everything is fine now. I wish I could tell you that our family is whole and restored, but the truth is that we still live as if we have no father because he stepped out of that role. My mom has had to live without a husband and to try and be both parents for us. Forgiveness didn't remove the consequences, but it did set me free. I don't have to live with the weight of what he's done against us on my shoulders all the time. I don't have to carry that around for the rest of my life. I don't have to be defined by what he has done to me. I don't have to expend all kinds of energy thinking about how he's wronged me, replaying that over and over again in my heart and trying to justify my anger and my bitterness to myself and to those around me. I don't have to do any of that. I'm free from all of that. Instead, I can walk in the freedom of forgiveness. I can have a joy and a peace and a contentment that somebody who's drowning in bitterness could never understand. Forgiveness didn't remove the consequences, but it did set me free. If you're here today, 
and you're struggling with forgiving someone, I beg you, ask somebody here to help you. That bitterness, that anger, it's not going to lead you anywhere good. It might feel good in the moment, but I promise you, it does not lead you down a path that you want to go down. And so please, talk with somebody here today. If you're here and you've never experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offers you for your sins, again, please, please talk with somebody. All of us here, we all owed God a debt, an absolutely unpayable debt. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, all of us have the opportunity to be forgiven of the entire thing. Not just a little bit, not just most of it, and we've got to earn off, we've got to work off the rest. All of it can be forgiven. We would love to talk with you about the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So please, see somebody before you leave. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that can only be found in him, the forgiveness that can only be found in what he has done for us. God, each one in this room was the servant with an unpayable debt. Each one of us owed you a debt that we could never pay off. But because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, each one of us has the opportunity to be forgiven, to walk forward in freedom. Oh God, help us to, to never lose sight of that. For those who are here and, and who know you, who have been forgiven of those sins, oh God, help us to never forget that, to not walk out like that servant and demand payment from those around us. Help us to remember how much we have been forgiven of. God, if there's some here who, who don't know you, who have never experienced that forgiveness, God, we pray that today might be the day that that changes. God, thank you so much for Jesus. It's his name that we pray. Amen.